this is my life and this will all be my life. And, and where I'm going with that is it's very easy to get caught up in the daily schedule and the daily grind and the daily competition to, to feed into that stress, this, this big ball that, that can accumulate versus when you make room to feel grateful just for, for this day and for this challenge and, and to know that you will have a day where you can look back on this and, and be like, wow, like I really answered the bell. fighting with one arm tied behind my back. But what happens when I'm finally set free? What we do in life echoes in eternity. It's supposed to be hard. If it wasn't hard, everyone would do it. The hard is what makes it great. Only love can truly save the world. This is my mission now, forever. Hi, and welcome back to Better with Dr. Stephanie. I am your host, Dr. Stephanie Estima. On today's podcast, I interviewed NHL defenseman for the New Jersey Devils, Connor Carrick, and we talked about all things related to what it takes to be an NHL star like him. So we talked about performance, we talked about mindset, recovery, sacrifices, failures. We started talking about his journey from being drafted into the Washington Capitals through to the Toronto Maple Leafs, which is where I met him when he was playing for the Leafs, to his current station in as a defenseman for the New Jersey Devils. We talked a lot, a lot about mindset and mental health. This is a really big topic for him. And we talked about the difference between being a thought leader versus an action leader. We dissected his short mental game and his long mental game. We talked about the idea of trading in on this desire for immediacy for sustainable patterns of growth for life. We talked about mastery. I found a way to slip in my disdain for the word hack. It's one of my least favorite words in the English language. And then of course, we moved into some of the juicy stuff. What is his diet and nutrition like? How does he play with his carbohydrates? And how does he change the timing of that uh, around game day? And what does his performance and training look like? What are his goals? What are his performance goals? And moved into, uh, we talked about sleep and recovery and did some, did a pretty deep discussion on some of the sacrifices that his wife Lexi has made in terms of being all in for being supportive for his career. And we talked a little bit about what life might look like after the NHL. You know, when you look at some of these pro sports guys, when you retire the uniform, you know, that you wear, there's a, an identity that's, that's lost. And it's a, it's a special kind of death because you, it's, there's a death of the identity that you once have, except you have to live after it. So we talked about what that means uh, for him. And then we did a little bit of rapid fire. Uh, Connor is a coffee aficionado. So uh, we geeked out a little bit on coffee and uh, his favorite types of coffee. And I just had a great time speaking with him. He is such an outstanding individual and he's so impressive in every aspect, in every way that you can possibly imagine. So without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Connor Carrick. Welcome, Connor. Dr. Steph, how are you? What's going on? What, that's really, really good. I'm really excited to have you here today. There's so much I want to talk to you about. I literally have pages and pages of notes in terms of like the questions that I prepared for you in, you know, 
classic Stephanie fashion. Um, I want to talk about, you know, performance. I want to talk about mindset and mental health, which you talk about a lot. I want to talk about recovery, failure, sacrifice, all, all the good things, all the, all the good heavy subjects. Um, Sounds good. A lot of sweet spots. Hopefully we'll get to the nitty gritty in, in no time. Awesome. I wanted to maybe start for the listener to start with your origin story, to start with the start, as they say, you know, making it into the NHL, playing for, you know, the most important hockey league, you know, on the planet. Um, This is a huge moonshot with, you know, many kids with, you know, buckets and buckets of talent. You know, they try, like they go for and they may not necessarily succeed. So let's, let's take you back. Let's take us back to when you were young. You know, do you feel like you were bred for hockey? Was this something that your parents encouraged? Was this like self-led, you know, self-directed? What did it look like for you as a child? When I was really young, I hated hockey because my my skates were too narrow. So like all my earliest memories are my dad would put me on top of the net and be like loosening my skates because I needed a wider boot. So that was initially, I I wanted to quit. I was like, uh, but my parents, you know, kind of said, we signed you up, paid the 200 bucks for sign up for whatever you're sticking with it. I began to to fall in love with it. That was age like four or five, let's say. Um, Started to just kind of skate real tentatively. And then I'd say about nine, there was a big decision in my hockey career, if you call that a nine-year-old hockey career. But it was kind of a decision, do I play AAA, which is travel hockey, and, and start to become more serious about this? Or do I stay with my friends at the AA level? And I made the jump. And then it got really hot and heavy about 14, 15. I committed to the University of Michigan when I was 15. I was playing uh, AAA hockey, and I was getting recruited, committed to University of Michigan, that was kind of common at the time. Uh, that was my dream school growing up. There were uh, Notre Dame. I had like bed covers I slept under and, and U of M it was. And then I was going to the U.S. National Team Development was pro- program, it's called. Uh, kind of a feeder program to a lot of high-end Division One teams, uh, the NHL draft. After that, that's a junior, senior year of high school commitment to your commitment. I end up with the Washington Capitals at 18 at the 2012 uh, NHL entry draft in the fifth round. That was a really cool day for my family. Like a lot is kind of unpacked that day. There's a lot of sacrifice and, and a lot of work that goes into the NHL draft. It's, a, it's There's only so many times you're totally measured and given a number. This is kind of what you are in the world amongst your age and not in the truest sense, but uh, that's kind of how that day goes. I wasn't thrilled with where I was selected. I thought, you know, I, my junior career at that time, at that's what uh, the U.S. development team was called. I was playing junior hockey at the time. wasn't going the way that I wanted. Um, you stay, didn't you stay another year? So you were drafted in 2012, but you started your contract in 2013, was it? Drafted yeah. in 2012, and then I went and played. I was going to go to Michigan. I decommitted there. I played in a league uh, called the OHL. Yeah. Ontario Hockey League. I did a year there with the Plymouth Whalers. Mm-hmm. And then I made... Uh, the Washington Capitals at a training camp the next season, which was kind of a whirlwind, uh, was was not penciled in to make the team and and do. Um, and honestly, one of the this this is right away we're getting to it. But one of the coolest hockey stories and, and hockey mementos I have is the assistant general manager for Washington later that season because I ended up playing whatever it was 30, 40 games, 2013, 2014 as my rookie year. He gives me a printout on of like a, a phone, an iPhone image, and every NHL coach and GM they kind of have 
the depth charts of their own club, depth charts of other teams, just kind of keeping tabs on who's where around the league. And they use like these magnets. I don't know where they all buy these magnets, but they got everyone's last name on them and they're, they're in every room. I don't know who, where they all order them. <laughs> right. But it was a text. It was a, it was a picture message from the general manager at the time, George McPhee, to Don Fishman, who was basically the money guy uh, for the Washington Capitals and uh, one of the assistant GMs. And the question was, can we do this? Question mark. And it was like all the six magnets of the other defensemen and then myself. Nice. Writ it, written in because I didn't have a magnet yet. Like in marker, wow. dry erase marker. So it was like the actual inception of my NHL career printed out and given to me. Yes, yeah, so that was that's kind of the, the start. And it's still to this day probably the coolest thing I've ever ever. Do you have, a, co- do you have a copy of that somewhere? I don't have it with me. I have it at our house in uh, yeah. Chicago. But yeah, that'll be that'll be I think framed one day if Lexi thinks it makes the cut. My wife likes <laughs> the Yeah. So uh, you spent three years it in Washington and then yeah. in twenty sixteen uh, well, maybe you can, you know, your, your time at Washington, I'd love to know what that's like for you. And then in 2016, you know, you were traded to the Toronto Maple Leafs, which is where I, you know, got to meet you in Toronto. Uh, maybe you can talk about your time in Washington. And then when the trade to Toronto happened, you know, were you excited? Like what, what was like, that's the first time you were traded, you know, were you excited about it? Why? Like, talk, you know, talk to me about that. Washington did not expect to make the team the first year, did. Uh, got sent down to the minors shortly after, um, and then got called up in the second half of the year. That was super cool. That was awesome. Issue was we missed the playoffs. Everyone got fired. Uh, new GM, new coach, uh, and they spent like sixty million bucks on their blue line on uh, Matt Niskanen and Brooks were picked the next year. Mm-hmm. So I was out of a job, and I was in I was in the minors the next season. I think I had a brief call up, and then I had a brief call up then again that that third professional season for me. Just for the listener, blue liner, that's that's another way that we say defenseman. Just yeah. so just in case yeah. someone yeah, yeah, go on. Yeah. And then that third season, they'd signed they'd re-signed a couple of defensemen with Washington. And I was gonna become waiver eligible. So to get into the nitty-gritty of contracts, uh, I knew I was gonna have to be going through waivers the next season. I knew I might get traded. They kind of hinted at this was the way it was going through, you know, my agent. Uh, so I get traded to the Leafs. Huge deal. You can prep for it, but just that there's a whirlwind. There's uh, a realization like in 10 seconds, oh, my God, all my friends, all my uh, – the uniform I'm wearing, everything's going to change mm-hmm. overnight. Mm-hmm. And then there's a realization like two weeks after that this is still new. And, I'm, in fact, I'm never going back to where I was. This is, this is now – as permanent as, as it can be in pro hockey for, for now anyway. Um, was super excited about that. That year with the – I played with the Leafs. I think it was 19 games. And then after that, there was a really important – for my career, there was an American League uh, playoff run where I really took off and uh, was able to make the Leafs the following season on a camp. And that third season, that's where I really solidified myself. Loved my time in Toronto. Like It was kind of the – Social peak of our career, make great friends there. The city itself is a, is a blast to, to live in. We walked everywhere. The food was great. People were great, super diverse. We loved it. And then there's something to be said about being a Toronto Maple Leaf. It means something in Toronto. It means something to people. It's a, you know, original six franchise. There's, there's so much history and expectation there. Yeah. Um, and I loved playing for fans that loved 
us and loved the game and loved there was just a reverence there that was that was common you didn't have to explain it to anybody what you were doing or who you were it, it, the reputation carried with you everywhere that you were you were a leaf and that was that was a cool it was a cool part of my career i read somewhere that Maybe I might have the dates wrong, but I think it was 2016, 2017. You appeared in like 67 out of the 82 games that year. Yeah. yeah, that was a big year for me. The Leafs, we went from, I was a part of the tail end of the tank, let's call it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the last place finish in which Dawson Matthews was drafted and then beginning of the franchise to beginning to you know resurrect that next season. We made the playoffs. That was a big deal. Played in my first um, NHL playoff game that season. Uh, I did get hurt and I think it was March. I got hurt for like three and a half weeks, four weeks with a, with a shoulder, which kind of stunk and didn't really um, rebound the rest of the season after I had, I had a good little probably 20, 25 game, you know, stint prior to the injury. And then the next season, I forget how many I played in, but the, the next season started to get a little rocky. And then it was that third season where I think the writing was on the wall. It was at the end of training camp where I was moved to Dallas and I, both trades I've kind of seen coming, which is nice, just from an expectation standpoint. Um, you you wish not to to get moved. You always want to you know try and play somewhere forever, like your favorite players growing up. Yeah. But you know it's a business, and and things change, and roles change, and viewpoints on players change, and you know trying to avoid that now here in New Jersey. Let's just talk about that for a second. We've talked about this offline a little bit from the day you were traded. So it was, so I'm going to give you a little bit of nerdy stats because this is what I do. So October 1st, 2018, uh, you were up to be traded. And then October the 4th, you were on the ice with the start with the Dallas Stars jersey. So that's three days from living in Toronto, being a Toronto Maple Leaf to being in Texas, playing for the Dallas Stars. I just want to pause there for a second and maybe you can explain was that challenging for you? Was there any, you know, what is the mindset around that in terms of, you know, you've you've talked about Toronto being like, you know, the social highlight for you and Lex and I can understand that, but from a career, like to go from, I I think that, I mean, maybe that's more common than uh, what I'm used to, but three days seems like a really short period of time to, to, to completely up and move. It was, that's three X what it was when I went from Washington to Toronto. Um, oh wow! I, I got traded in Toronto. I think it was a Sunday night, and I got a phone call late. It was like midnight, mm-hmm. and I was told, "Yeah, it was a Sunday night because the next day was a Monday. My flight was going to be like four o'clock out of Hershey, Pennsylvania, because I was playing the minors for the Hershey Bears." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I woke up on Monday morning to like forty-five missed phone calls, and I went to bed that day at like three in the morning saying to myself, well, my flight's not till 4 PM. I'll just finish packing our our life essentially up tomorrow. It's, Mm -hmm. it's not an early flight. And I was supposed to play in a Tuesday morning game at 10 AM for the Toronto Marlins. That was kind of the plan. I missed like 40 calls. I was flying out at now at 1 PM out of Philly, which was like an hour and a half, two hours away. And I was playing that night for the Leafs against Tampa. Holy crap. It was less than, you know, 24 hours. So three days is like a luxury. You're like, I got time. <laughs> That's literally what Lexi and I thought. We were like, this is, this is sweet. Okay. Uh, but the Dallas move uh, was good. You just get really sharp. 
it's you you what's important now what in this what am i getting paid to do currently and that's play hockey and how can i do that in the best way possible because this trade is this this big life moment it's it's very tumultuous you got to pack your stuff try and find your place to live mm-hmm. your gut reaction is okay this is good for me dallas there was more opportunity and it was very promising for me at the time like career wise it's still emotional you still have baggage that from from you know leafland that you know i have friends and family things we really liked about playing there yeah but what you know is you don't want this to happen again and the best way to mitigate that risk is to get playing well and so you just get real sharp what matters what doesn't matter uh you know how can i fuel up properly how can i eat properly how can i get some sleep and get ready to play you know because as as big of a life change as that was i was still looking ahead in an 82 game season like we're we're still at zero you know the grind hasn't even began and then Dallas was was great, really excited to be there. I thought it was a, a really high-octane team, a team that I thought valued what I do as a player, as a, as a sort of undersized, puck-moving player uh, who could be sh- you know, sharp and strong defensively. I thought I could help them. And then there was a, a pretty you know, brutal injury um, not too long after. So you know, the highs and lows of this game can be you know, pretty brutal. Um, it's If you're risk-averse, like, NHL hockey is not for you, you know, and you, you, you do your best. And that's what I would say is the trade is, is really cool. It really is an opportunity to, I'm in the fire. Everybody is going to be judging me from the moment I walk in. You got to go prove yourself in every way. Prove you're a good teammate. Prove you can help, whether it's the power player, penalty kill, and, you know, uh, help the five-on-five team game you just get really really focused and and to the point where just nothing else matters and then you move from dallas now you're at your semi-permanent home now at the uh, in new jersey with the devs yep yep was that was that a relief for you to come back like did you do you you know you're from chicago originally so you know, east back on the east. I mean, Chicago's not really east coast, but you know, back in the you know tri-state area, that you know how. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I was thrilled to come to New Jersey. It was, um, I was kind of on this treadmill of an injury. I was out. It was like eight or nine weeks, and then kind of didn't get another chance to play until ten or twelve weeks with the with the broken leg. Mm-hmm. Um, and the NHL season, it's it's almost like a like a NASCAR race. Like well, it gets going, these laps, and the, and the game's going and going and going. All of a sudden, you you get injured, and you're like this stationary car that they're just kind of crane in. And you're like the road runner where you're just you're, – you're trying to get your feet underneath you. Because the game the, – the NHL game every 10 games, let's say, is played at a different pace. So every team at 10 games is a different team at 20. Every team at 20 is a, a, a way better team at 40. And the game just ramps up all the way until, you know, the Stanley Cup final when teams are humming at, you know, clip that they don't even look like the same team on video come, you know, the previous October. Right. So – I just knew in Dallas, it was kind of like the best thing ever for my career until it wasn't. And that was when I got hurt, you know, and, and you don't blame injuries. There was, you know, opportunities to uh, try and come back. 
but I'm also aware enough as a professional to kind of know when decisions have been made and, and you're, you're starting to be at the mercy, I guess, of some of those decisions that were made while I was, while I was hurt. So you do your best and then, you know, finish really well with New Jersey and was able to impress enough, I guess, to, to send a two-year deal this summer. Let's shift gears a little bit. Let's start talking about some of the uh, mindset and mental health. Uh, you've been, you've talked a lot about this publicly. Uh, you know, every Monday you have a post on, you know, hashtag mental health Mondays on your Instagram. And I think one of the things that you do so eloquently is that you humanize, you know, the struggles that you've had. You talk about the struggles that you had, you know, and I think it makes you for me, it makes you so relatable. And I'm, you know, just wanting to, see, I want to cheer for you. I want to see you win. Like, for, for example, you know, you've talked about uh, a tick that you have, like this neurological sort of tick that you have when, you know, in periods of high stress. And I would love for you to maybe touch on that a little bit, maybe explain it for the listener who maybe is not aware of it. But more importantly, you know, how you explain it to others and what that physical manifestation is telling you. And then, you know, for anybody that's had any sort of physical, you know, whether it's a manifestation of, of stress or emotional or mental, you know, anxiety, panic attacks, depression, any, any of that, you know, I'm sure that you've had, you know, in the change room, you know, guys can be brutal, you know, how you've dealt with either external criticism or the criticism that sort of comes from your, uh, from the, you know, the inner chatter, the monkey mind, if you will. Yes. I can generally, so I kind of scrunch my nose, probably doing it on the podcast now when I, you know, look at myself, it's something that, you know, when I was young, it, it, it was a tick that kind of took on different forms. So when I was really young, I would like chew on my shirt. I'm not talking like just sort of chew on my shirt. Like I would look down after the Illinois state achievement test, the ISATs, like my whole shirt would be chewed Mm -hmm. or I would snap. Like I remember when I learned how to snap, I would sit there and just one, two, one, two, one, two, while I was, you know, doing paper, hey, teacher, hey, Connor, can you, can you not do that? Yeah, yeah, no problem. I won't do it. You know, two to three seconds later, minutes, whatever it was, you know, get back to snapping. For a while, I used to like shake my hair, you know, like I, like I had the Justin Bieber, you know, like high school flow, but I didn't have it, you know, like I was getting it out of my eyes kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and I've got stories. It was more brutal when I was young in a professional environment. Guys are pretty nuanced. Guys are interesting in the NHL everyone's got their their sort of um ticks and genius that that helps them get into that state of flow every player is superstitious they may or may not know it so for me they at the NHL level they, they kind of leave me alone it's definitely something that I feel I'm, I'm aware of I get bummed when like for example I look through our wedding photos and I can see myself in the photo doing it mm-hmm you know, or like our, our wedding video, I can see it during my, my vows or during interviews. I, I remember, I think it was Elliot Friedman up in Toronto, who's, a, who's big in uh, sports media, made mention, hey, Connor, I, I really enjoy interviewing you. Like if you've never considered a career in, in media after, I, I think you'd be good at it. It was very nice of him. He was, he was commenting on my public speaking, which is a skill that's, that's hard. I, I think naturally I'm decent at it. I, I really admire people who are really good at it. And I actually asked him later, later on, I'm like, Hey, Elliot, like I kind of took your comment seriously. Do you think as someone in the industry that I would need to like coach this, like get this out of who I am? And he honestly had no idea what I was talking about. He didn't even notice. So sometimes you think you know how people are perceiving you. Um, Sometimes you do or don't. 
I am someone who's high strung. I've, I've been there since I was very young. So to tie it into to mental health, I think it's something that takes real work. And I play, in a, I play a sport that if you ask any GM, any coach, any player for that matter, what percentage of the game is mental, you're not going to get a percentage lower than 80. Right. Yeah. So let's, I was on the ice for three hours this morning. I'm not coming home and working on my mental game for 12, but that's the percentage that that's what most people is. It's agreeable at that number. So, you know, from a professional standpoint, I think that, you know, guys can be better with, you know, kind of working on their game and, and how to stay mentally fresh. Cause it is a grueling season. There's a lot of travel. It's a lot of hockey. You take a look around an NHL locker room after, after 10 games, Guys are tired. Guys are beat up. Guys are hurt already. Mm-hmm. And you've got 70 plus left. Yeah, you got 70. Yeah, yeah. You got That's 70 left. Yeah. That's a lot. And then, you know, hopefully you're hoping for, you know, 28 more games of brutality in the playoffs, which is each game's worth like three physically. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the mental health Monday is kind of a, a, a cheap way for me to, to participate in that conversation, try and add to it. I, I, enjoy the, the content creation, the thinking of how I want to try to be relatable. And, and, and I was very role model oriented growing up, you know, so I always looked at what have guys and NHL players and people been through. And, and that helps me know what I can go through, what I can withstand. And I just, I take it very seriously as an NHL player. I'm a leader to someone. I've got a following of however, you know, 45,000 on Instagram. I mean, to talk in front of 45,000 people 20, 30 years ago, you'd have to be, you'd have to be Tony Robbins, you know, like that's how cool. Or a president. Or a president for that matter. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. I don't even know if Tony was that big then, but, you know, (laughs) I, I, but uh, yeah, so I, I, I enjoy being a part of the conversation. The validation has been great. Mm -hmm. You know, people have been really encouraging, which is nice. I think I'd, I'd like to do it anyway. But it's always nice when you get, you know, good feedback and it's something I'm I'm really trying to take seriously. So with that, let's let's go a little deeper in terms of your, you know, short term mindset and your long term mindset. So like your short play and your long play. You've talked about this as well, where this idea of understanding that you are going to fail. There are going to be times when you are not going to perform or achieve the things that you set out to do. And for many people, this is what stops them in their tracks. For many people, this is where they they ascribe a personal characteristic. So they'll say, God, like I, I didn't score that goal or I didn't train the way that I wanted to. There must be something wrong with me. I think you reframe it, you must reframe it much differently than that. So maybe you can talk about, you know, what happens, what do you do in the short term when you are trying to create momentum if there has been something that has, you know, stopped it. I think momentum is one of those funny X factors in life where all of a sudden you're coasting and you're, you're doing so well, you don't even have time to think about why, or you're struggling and you just, you can't stop the bleeding. So I think this, this concept of being able to create momentum is really important for pro athletes for sure. But I mean, it's in, it's in your relationship too. You know, it's, if Flexi and I, you know, fight two days in a row, there's a good chance there's a third, you know what I mean? Like there, it, things happen that way for whatever reason they tend to come in waves so in the short term generally when i struggle 
or I fail, my goal is to get out of that that red zone, that fight or flight, you know, uh, tunnel vision. Oh my God, the building's on fire. Uh, everyone saw me turn that puck over, whatever. And try and understand that I've turned a puck over before. Like I haven't been burned at the stake. This isn't life or death. And that kind of calms the severity of, of what's going on. But generally like the in-game experience, I don't find difficult. It's when you get home and it's, two in the morning and you're rolling around in bed. Uh, and for me, I kind of have a couple different routines. Like I'll always follow my certain sleep routine, try to meditate, read, whatever, do like a cool shower, brush my teeth, get ready for bed. If I can't fall asleep, I'll get up and do that two or three times in a row. Oh, yeah. I love that. That's yeah. great. Yeah. I, I, if once I sit there, if it's been 20 minutes, 30 minutes, I haven't fallen asleep. It ain't going to happen. And that's so smart too, because the brain is very much an associative organ. So if you spend 20 or 30 minutes and you're not able to initiate sleep, your brain will now say, oh, my bed, this is a place where I don't sleep. So for you to just have that intuition to just say, you know what, I'm just going to get up and I'm going to do the whole thing again. That's yeah, I could brilliant. never do Like when, when kids do homework in, in their bed or whatever, like I, it has to be for sleep, dark, cold all the time, mm-hmm. um, door closed. That's, otherwise, it's, it's an uphill battle for me. Mm-hmm. But really, you're almost taught that it's okay to, to breed and to hang out in that negativity surrounding mistakes as an athlete. Hate to lose. You, you got to you know, never be satisfied. And actually, this is a cool story out of Archangel Summit, was I had I'm like a Thrive Market member, and I got like a free gift of Brennan Burchard's High Performance Habits book. Came, and I had a cue going, so I throw it on the shelf. And then I go to Archangel Summit and I see Brendan Burchard. <laughs> I'm like, okay, this guy, this guy's dialed in. Like, like you know, it, there, there's something about the, the top of the top in any industry. It's, it's so artful. And just to see him speak, you know, I immediately went back and, uh, and grabbed that book. And he, he talks about something about striving satisfied. Like you can both know you can be better but not punish yourself all day long, 24, seven, 365 for not being this perfect caricature that you've drawn up in your head. Mm-hmm. And I think athletics puts you uniquely in touch with that because, you know, you can go sprint and run as fast as you can or jump as high as you want. You can't just go faster because you want to like, it's hard. It takes a lot of work. There are, you know, sort of like genetic, ceilings out there people don't like to hear that but it's called what it is like i'm 510 you know with a very average vertical i'd never play in the nba it's the way it goes you know so i really liked his concept of, of striving with a sense of uh, satisfaction that i think isn't something i was raised with in the in the sports community and i think you had said something like you know if you have a flat tire you know you're not going to go out and slash the rest of your tires right you're just going to go and find the mechanic, fix the tire, and then keep driving. Like you're just looking for the small next win to break that momentum. So you said, you know, in context with Lexi, like you fight one or two days, like how can I just break this cycle? How can I just get one little small win in our relationship? Whether it's that or it's, you know, on the ice or whatever, it's like, how can I just find, you know, be consistent, right? Until you fail. And then when you fail, find the win and then just keep 
you know, don't ascribe any, I think what a lot of people do is they ascribe a personal, like a personality uh, flaw to it. Like, oh, I failed. I must be not smart enough, not worthy enough, not just like you fail. You're human. Welcome to the human race. We all do it. Let's just find a way to break the cycle and move forward. Well, hockey is a cool teacher for that because, you know, we play with like frozen rubber on ice, like bad, bad hops happen. So you, you want, you're, you're trying to take control of your development and like every step of the way growing up, mm-hmm. I was very much that way. You know, I, I knew what I wanted to be better at in the game of hockey. I always uh, tried to find the best coach and, and do all that. But at the pro level, like there's a, there, there is something out there beyond your control. And sometimes mistakes end up in that dark space and you just got to not pour gasoline on the fire and, and make more mistakes because chances are there's a game tomorrow night too. You don't have much time to, to feel sorry for yourself. Otherwise you'll string it into a, a streak, you know, poor play. And how does that translate into your, into your long game? I think, you know, when you're an NHL player, you know, you, I think you have a view to longevity in the game, at least right now. And I think just being pro, just staying in the NHL, that is a testament to the long game and playing it. And you can't, you know, I, I just hate this. I, you can't hack. Like, that's like one of my words that I can't You can't hack your way into the best hockey league on the planet. You can't hack your way to better health. You can't hack your way into a better mindset. You know, are there fundamentals that you ascribe to that, that help with your longevity in the sport? I think now more than ever, I do a better job respecting uh, the skill and the art of the game. You know, I think at the end of the day, the best players are your puck players. And I've done a better job really kind of re-identifying with that. You know, my puck play was something that got me into the NHL. And, you know, as an undersized guy, I've always been challenged to, to defend harder. You know, you have your, your limitations with size. I would say that for sure is something that as I'm seeing where the game's going, if you don't have skill and you can't skate, this game is not going to be friendly to you. That for sure. And then I think you, you take all the, the cheap stuff. It's easy to try and sleep as much as you can so you're fresh when you get to the rink. It's easy to eat a clean diet, you know, your, your meats, your greens, your high-quality water, you know, properly timed carbohydrate, your sweet potatoes and that. Uh, those are all things that you can control, uh, and I think you cling to them in the NHL because there is so much beyond your control. Sometimes you get the puck, sometimes you don't. You know, sometimes it bounces your way, sometimes you don't. And those little bounces can honestly lead to streaks, good or bad, so you you – hold on and what you can hold on to, you know, and then, and then just stack the deck as favorably as you can to get every bounce you can. And I love what you're saying, like the nutrition, you know, the fitness, the sleep, the mindset, like you're taking care of yourself like you matter, right? Like one of the things I think any NHL player, any pro sport, any pro athlete uh, can attest to is there is, you know, finding the beauty in the repetition of those things. You know, like the, I often, I often talk like, it's okay to be same, same. It's okay to do the same thing day in, day out. That's where mastery comes from. And I would, I would say that that's something that, you know, you've achieved when we think about, you know, mastery, they say is like, you know, 10,000 hours. If you, if you devote three hours a day to your craft, you know, you're looking at, uh, it's like just over nine years of every single day, same, same, the repetition, the monotony, and like falling in love, you know, with the monotony of it. And the nutrition, like you were saying, like the good meats, the the, the good fats, the vegetables, um, that was actually where I wanted to uh, move into next. So that was, that was beautiful. Um, but maybe you can describe, you know, you sound like you eat a, a ketogenic diet, which is something I'm a huge fan of. Do you want, do you want to sort of 
talk about like, you know, what, what is your favorite meal? What do you like to eat on a day-to-day basis? Yeah. So basically I try to use like a targeted uh, ketogenic diet. So I did some genetic testing. I think Nutrients is the company mm-hmm. along with like a, a Nutraval. I use a functional medicine doc, um, an osteopath out of Toronto who's kind of helping uh, guide me through that. And basically my carb doesn't know, my body doesn't know do with, with carbohydrate, I suppose. So, you know, that's the way that goes. So most practice days, I'm about 25 to 35 grams of carb, about 190 grams of fat. And there's an upper threshold. I'm forgetting the, the sort of macronutrients and the protein, I think it's at like 108 to 190. And that was all based off. I was a little heavier uh, at the end of last season when we began to implement this. Mm-hmm. Um, I've lost probably five, 10 pounds since then. I'm playing at about 190 right now. I've been as high as 210. In my career, I was, I was quite bulk, bulk, uh, bulky then, you know, at 5'10", 210. I feel better at this weight. My classic meal, that meat and greens, is, is about 90% of what I eat. And then, you know, I pound the avocado. I'll mix in, you know, a bulletproof coffee just about every other day. I enjoy it. I don't find it as difficult. I find uh, clarity throughout the day is much better with that. And then come game day, I'll kind of uh, I'll supplement with, I'll use sweet potato after like our pregame skate. And I'll usually use um, like berries or banana kind of like 90 minutes about before the game. And I'll usually at the second period, if I'm playing a lot, I'll use some more carbohydrate. And I find that that works. And it's not, hasn't been perfect. You know, for some guys that's too intensive. Other guys just like to kind of old school, eat how they feel, eat till they're full and get out there, which is great. But I honestly... I feel this takes some of the decision fatigue out of what I'm eating in a day. Yeah, it gives you more, give you more brain juice, right? Like if you don't have to decide what you're eating, it's already started done. Yeah. It's easier. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have a favorite meal that you like to cook or that Lexi cooks? Honestly, she makes this, uh, it's primal gourmet. He makes this, um, Ronnie is his, uh, is his real name. We had dinner once in, in Chicago. Nice dude. He did this. Um, I think it's like a short rib ragu. Like a tomato sauce. Oh, baby. A little higher <laughs> on the carb, but it's honest to God, like the one meal that, and I'll eat it over whether it's zucchini noodles or just out of the pot. It is outstanding. Like it is the one thing that when Lexi says, we're having this tonight, it's like Christmas. And then we're doing it. Anytime we find like a higher end um, pork, you know, at Whole Foods or whatever, the, the higher step, yeah. we'll make uh, like a pork carnitas that she makes. That's, that's pretty outstanding. So those are probably my two. No, she's a real deal. Like my father-in-law is a, uh, a chef. She looks like, like a good cook. She looks like an excellent cook. Like I have to say, yeah. Her family's in the industry. Yeah. They own two restaurants in Orland Park, Illinois. Mm-hmm. Patrick and Cannon is my father-in-law. He's a chef by trade. And then Stephanie Hans is my mother-in-law. She manages uh, the restaurant, does the numbers. So yeah, we essentially will go to the store there's a deal on uh, halibut, which I actually don't eat that much of anymore because my mercury was quite high. No. But hey, Patrick, you know, what the hell do I do with this halibut? And go to the aisle, grab some parchment paper, grab some lemon, grab this, grab that. And it's just press play. Go home and try and execute it. And usually it turns out fantastic. So it's kind of a nice perk. That's awesome. I love that. When it comes to, uh, let's move into performance and training a little bit. You know, nutrition is, you know, we talk about, of the game is like mental, you know, when we think about, you know, physical development, of course, 80% of that, you can make that argument is nutrition as well. Uh, But there's, of course, there's a performance and training component to it. Um, Do you have specific goals when it comes to your training and performance? Is it, you know, do you want to increase your, you know, 
Do you want to like hypertrophy the the muscles? Do you want to have more type two fibers? Do you want to have more explosion? Like, do you want to have more flexibility? Like, what are what are some of the goals that you aspire to with your with your training regimen? So, in terms of like the population of the NHL, I'm definitely in you know the, the top tiers of uh, like physical development. Like my my tissues, I'm very strong. I don't have to consider like I'm not at all concerned about um, weight in the summer, putting weight on. Sometimes like younger prospects are. Um, I'm sort of, I'm, I'm 25. I'm sort of in my athletic prime, um, physically. So really I work with Ian Mack out of Chicago is the guy's name. Um, our conversation is how are you feeling on the ice? How can we enhance your ability to train and, and make high end decisions and, and sort of, uh, stretch your, your, your skill bandwidth as best we can. And this comes back to, you know, sort of me coming, uh, focusing more on my puck play. Right. We were talking about that earlier. Yeah. yeah, Um, yeah. So I would say I was on the ice a little bit more this summer than usual. You do want to give your body a break after each season. It's a long season. You kind of want uh, hips and shoulders are the two that give players the most issues uh, and the most surgeries. So you kind of want to let those areas of your body um, calm and and feel happy and then juicify after a long season. But I was on the ice probably four to six days a week starting in May which kind of in the olden days, guys would zip their bag up and not even open it until August, not even open it. But the game has become that off season time is so valuable. Like during the season, I think teams get better during the off season, individual players get better. So it's just, it's so important to, to get those reps in from a physicality standpoint. It's definitely the anaerobic, like how can I prepare myself for, for NHL shifts, you know, sort of that duration. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will work a little bit on the aerobic base just so that I'm recovering day to day and, and the body is, is healthy. And then after that, it's really abdominal glute cueing, you know, and, and sort of awareness, explosiveness for, for, for certain, and, and just general body um, coordination. How can I get everything working with in, in the same manner? And in terms of hypertrophy, we really don't lift much. Uh, some of the younger players that Ian has will, like I have a younger brother, you know, who, who could still use some extra tissue on his frame. He'll lift more in his program, but everyone's sort of, sort of different. 80% of it, I would say, is probably the same to stick with that number. And then every guy will try to schedule uh, like a couple one-on-ones during a week. Uh, usually it's like I'll train about six days a week. And that's where sometimes a program will, will change a little bit. So, for example, for me, uh, stamina is something that for me just takes more work. I wouldn't say, you know, I'm the horse that's able to go the longest, the most naturally. Uh, when it comes to power, you know, anything, you know, like a, like a Kaiser rotation or any jump or any lift, I'm good there. But, you know, the ability to repeat it at a game speed level is, is mostly our focus. And then just kind of, we call it like polishing the statue where you're just you're trying to keep everything nice and happy so you can do what you're good at. And I used to take the physical training very seriously until I realized, you know, I can be a world-class hockey player. If I entered the CrossFit games next week, I'd probably finish, you know, very low. Frankly, that's what it is. So there's always going to be someone out there who can lift more weight. There's always someone out there who can run harder, longer. For me, you know, I what skill or asset I have right now is playing the game. So it's easy sometimes to focus on your, let's call them gains in the gym. I think those are a little for show. Yeah. And that doesn't necessarily translate to performance and athleticism, right? Like when you are a professional, I mean, I'm speaking, talking to the choir here, but when you are a professional 
athlete, you have a very specific skill set that needs to be developed and you need to hone in, you know, same, same, the rep- like the repetition all the time. So, you know, going to the gym and lifting weights, which is something that I do and I enjoy, but that's not necessarily going to translate into being a good hockey player. You know, you have to train. It's like the, um, the specificity that happens or the specificity that's required in order for you to be a good defenseman is going to be different than, you know, maybe your brother who doesn't, have as much ma- who doesn't have as much mass as you and maybe plays a different position, right? It's so different. And it's different player to player. I mean, everyone's got their, their physical demands and what they do well. It really is an art. And it's, it's something that uh, another specialist, uh, sort of skill specialist that I use um, could be Adam Oates, who's a, a Hall of Famer. And he was someone that, you know, we talked about that specificity. Connor, if you can do, you know, A, B, and C well, you can get paid to play in this game for a long time. Um, but if these three things don't do well, you're going to have to defend a lot. Any defenseman that's in his own end a lot, coach gets uncomfortable and you don't play, mm-hmm. all of a sudden your lifetime goes down and there's a, that lack of trust. And that's kind of the special word in hockey. If coach can trust you, you're going to play. If coach has that pit in his stomach every time you hop over the boards, you're going to find yourself in, in uh, some murky waters in a hurry. So how – that's what I worked on this summer. How can I become more trustworthy defensively? And how can I continue to break the puck out of my own end and be cleaner through the neutral zone and be more lethal in the offensive zone so that our team is raising their hands, you know, at the other end more often than I am defending in our end after, uh, you know, scoring goals for our team. So – that was really our my my focus. It's amazing, you know. I'm listening to you talk about the 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 food prep and the nutrition. Of course, you are blessed with someone like Lexi and her family to to have a love of food the way that she does. Um, but the performance, you know, when you when we think about like the sacrifice that you've made, but I think also the other, you know, the people around you. You know, I think it's important when we're looking at what you've achieved. Uh, I think it's an important distinction to make between being self-made and being what my friend Jason Gaynard calls community made, which is, you know, you, I think Arnold Schwarzenegger once said, you know, I've been able to stand on the shoulder of giants. I think he was maybe on a Tim Ferriss podcast or something where he said, you know, I'm where I am because of the people around me. And it's a privilege and an honor I would think like I can hear your love for the game. Like you're talking about, you know, wanting to get coach to trust you and it's a privilege to pay, to play in the NHL. Can you maybe talk to some of the sacrifices that, that you've made as an individual, but also, you know, the people around you, like mom and dad, your family, you know, Lexi, what, um, what are some of those sacrifices um, for being all in for you in your career? You know, we, we, you were, we were talking a little bit about uh, the monotony, right? Doing the same thing all the time. Yeah. I mean, I've been work. I just said, you know, since May, you know, six days a week. If I were to take 72 hours off right now, after 72 hours, my game would not feel the same as I did this morning. It really is a daily rental of excellence. You're just trying to be excellent for 60 minutes or, or, or two hours, however long you're on the ice. So that means your, your shift, your work shift is 24-7. You know, there's, there's endless amount of things that I can do just tonight and feel like garbage tomorrow morning. And that sacrifice does spill over into the to lives of your loved ones. You know, if it's a beautiful day outside in, in Jersey, which it is, maybe some normal couples might walk down the street and there's a grass-fed ice cream shop that we love, and but we won't be going there tonight because I, I have a big skate tomorrow and I don't want to feel sluggish. And that sometimes, 
the, the trade-off in terms of sacrifice others make i'll start with my wife like lexi is there through all of it uh the first trade in uh washington when i was when i was playing hershey i jet set with my bag lexi packed my whole car drove it back to washington dc where she was working at the time and she was on one big i don't know when i'll see it but we'll figure this out as soon as we can sort of pause so she goes through it with me every day. She sees the ups and downs. I'm not always the easiest person to be around. I, I talk a lot about the mental health and trying to get back to a positive state of mind. But when you love what you do, it's pretty hard to break away from some of the struggles. Sometimes it's hard to just drop at the door. It's not just work. It's not just some idiot boss. Like my boss is actually a good dude. I respect him. He's a smart guy. John Hines knows what he's talking about. You know, so when you care about something and you're getting negative feedback, it, it can wear on you. From a family perspective, we had three boys in our family, uh, all played hockey. My middle brother plays D3 at Trinity College out in uh, Hartford, Connecticut. My youngest brother um, is an aspiring Division One player, playing junior just as I did You know, when I was younger. We were always in ranks. Like my, my mom and dad were always figuring out where we were driving and when, who needed a ride, uh, what, parent, what fellow parents on the team could help pick you know, us up. Uh, we rarely had like a normal schedule. I never really saw my parents do anything. There was no game night. There was no, you know, my dad used to go on this golf trip. And as we got older, uh, he didn't go anymore. You know, the, the amount of sacrifice, both from a financial perspective and from a time investment, I don't think hockey is known as being such a traditional family-oriented game. I think it's because it has to be. It's not convenient. It's not, you know, there's not a field you can go kick a soccer ball around or, or a basketball court where all you need is gym shoes and a ball. Like ice is expensive. To get there, there needs to be an ice rink. It's, it's not an easy game investment-wise for the families. And that's why I just, I, I do think you see such a strong bond over it um, when families are able to sort of pull it off. It was it was all we talked about in our house growing up. It was it was our it was our dream as a family really to 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 do what I'm doing. I think I think that's so great, and I think you know when you think about you know whether it's relationships, whether it's you know career, training, performance. I, I what the through line that I'm hearing from you is that you have worked like you have worked to get to where you are, and there's been sacrifice. You know, Lexi, mom, dad, your brothers. And I have a, I think I have a, a secret goal that I, I think you share um, as well. And that is that I want to make effort cool again. <laughs> you know, like you talking to you, you work hard and you're not ashamed of that. And I, and I want, like, I was always too school for cool. I was never the cool, I was never the cool kid. You know, I always had to work for what I've achieved. And, you know, I may never, like, I, I was never the smartest person. Like I was always, you know, one of the smarter people, but I could close the gap between myself and, you know, the smartest person by the amount of effort, the amount of time, the amount of focus that I put in. I would often, I would often be able to surpass them because of the effort that I, um, uh, that I would put in. And I think you have, you've been blessed with natural talent, right? So even though you maybe started to hate, you hated it when the, you know, your skates were too tight, but I think it's a abysmal and I think it's, and it's a horrendous tragedy when, you have natural talent, but you don't go all in on it, you know, to, to sort of harness, 
to harness that talent. Do you, would you agree with that? I totally would. And the, the concept of making effort cool again, like I relate to that greatly. I, I think that I definitely can reflect on how hard I've worked, you know, in my career. And I think daily about how hard I need to work to continue this. This the NHL life is fun. It, it's it's one you want to hold on to. We talked about some of my long-term focus. You know, there is this secondary career out there that's dark and murky. I don't know what that is. And honestly, I, I look ahead thinking that whatever it is I want to do next, it's going to take the type of intensity and work that I invested in my current career. And I'm staring at this mountain like I have so much work to do. And I do think just in the instant gratification world that we live on live in, you know, there's not a product in the world I can't have at my door and you know, it seems like the next day with Amazon and all these crazy different services, Instagram, you, you can, you know, see anywhere in the world that at any given moment. I do think that if, you know, this platform that I'm, I'm trying to create can be sort of like a, a free advertisement for sustainable, consistent, long-term effort. I'm, I do that for other people so that they, they can, they can feel inspired by it and, and hopefully take stronger action. But it's also to keep me accountable. It's also like a, a reminder to me, hey, know what got you here. Know what it's going to take to get you to where you want to go. Mm-hmm. There's, there's no sort of cheap ride to the, the, the quality of life I, I want to help you know, lead and, and have for, for me and my family. I love that. Make effort cool again. It, it really is something that, for whatever reason, you know, seems out of style sometimes. Yeah. And you've, let's, let's talk a little bit about this. Uh, you know, potential life after NHL. I know right now that's all that's all that's in your that's in your sphere of focus is NHL performance, train, sleep, repeat. But we've had you and I have had some conversations, you know, offline around what life might be like after NHL. You know, what life might be like after you know your time, your chapter, if you will, uh, in in the NHL. And I think it's brilliant because I think most pro athletes. You know, they don't, they don't think about the future and, you know, we see, you know, them running into, you know, they retire the uniform and it's almost like they're retiring, you know, who they are and everything that they've, you know, uh, worked so hard to, um, uh, to achieve. Do you find that in thinking about that post hockey life, does that free up space for you right now? Like, does that remove some of the charge or remove some of the anxiety or the, cause you know, the NHL can be like this big pressure cooker of stress, right? You know, there's 31 teams. There's a bit of, you know, there's a bit of scarcity in that. And, you know, hearing you like you, ha- like it's a 24 hour gig, right? Like you're always thinking about how can I do better? How can I make, how can I improve on whatever skill or, um, you know, benchmark that I'm trying to, that I'm trying to punch through. Do you find that just thinking about what life might be like after the NHL, does that free up any, you know, brain juice or physical space for you to perform better right now? Absolutely. I think it, it helps create some more poise. Um, it helps me see my career from a distance as, as this journey that I'm on. I hope that my NHL career is, is one of the great things I'm able to do in my life. It's, it's not over. You know, I've listened to people talk, uh, you know, you're in the health and wellness industry. I'd like to live to 150, you know, and, and we're, we'd like to think that's a possibility within our lifetime. And well, if the average career, if, if a hall of fame career ends at 40, like, there's still a lot of meat left on that ball. Yeah, man. So I think when I'm able to, to pick my head up and breathe and understand like, this is my life. 
and this will all be my life. And, and where I'm going with that is it's very easy to get caught up in the daily schedule and the daily grind and the daily competition to, to feed into that stress, this, this big ball that, that can accumulate versus when you make room to feel grateful just for, for this day and for this challenge and, and to know that you will have a day where you can look back on this and, and be like, wow, like I really answered the bell. I was challenged 82 times a year. I got traded this time or I went through that injury. Um, there's something about looking at this through the eyes of like your future self. How would I be proud of myself in the future based on how I respond right now? Like how would I want me to act? And I think that creates some distance sometimes from the heat of the moment. Yeah, I love that. And I, I you know, just to, I think that when we think about, when we can think about the future, it takes a little bit of the charge away. You know, the, the things that we're obsessing about now, maybe they are important in the moment, but if they're not going to matter five years from now, or they're not going to matter 10 years from now, it puts things in a little bit more of a perspective. I totally agree. Yeah. So I know you're a bit of a coffee aficionado. Yes. I have yet to experience uh, your coffee, but I am very much looking forward to the day that I do. I thought it might be fun to, as we're sort of finishing up here, to do a little rapid fire question, uh, yes. questioning cool. on, your, on your coffee. You game? Let's do it. Yeah. Okay. So bulletproof or cappuccino? Bulletproof. Uh, drip coffee or French press? It's Chemex drip, pour over. Pour over. All right. Over. Light, <laughs> light, medium, or dark roast? Light, light roast. Light roast. Favorite type of drink? Favorite type of coffee? Black. Classic. Black. Espresso, coffee, Americano. What's your favorite? I'll go pour over. I got a couple... Um, I've had some mean Ethiopians. I had one uh, a couple weeks ago that was like a blueberry bomb. This thing was quite outstanding. I think it was an Ethiopian. Like I think it's it was G U J I. I'm not going to butcher. That. I think it was a Guji. Mm-hmm. Something. A friend of mine uh, over at Huskins Coffee had sent it to me, and he, that's what he said. He said, "I'm going to send you this blueberry bomb. Enjoy." And it legitimately tastes like had an aftertaste like you just eaten like a blueberry muffin. It's outstanding. It sounds, it sounds like Willy Wonka's. That's what I thought I was going to turn. Yeah, it was pretty wild. How many cups of coffee do you have in a day? Just one. Just my morning. Just in the morning. And your favorite and what's your favorite morning coffee? What do you have in the morning? I'll switch off. If I'm if I'm gonna if I know the workload's really high at the rink, I'll go bulletproof like Anna breakfast. If I know the workload at the rink will be really light, I'll just go bulletproof and I won't eat a meal until probably lunchtime. Mm-hmm. And then I'll, I'll drink some like essential amino acids before practice. And then if I know the practice is going to be medium, I'll go black coffee with a light breakfast. Typically, that's kind of my light, medium, hard schedule. How do you feel about decaf? I'm more so concerned. Like, aren't the processes in that pretty gnarly? Like, in terms of what can end up in the coffee, if it's like an organic uh, decaf or like I think Swiss water process is okay. I'll mess with it. But if, I, if I'm at the point where I'm needing to drink decaf, I just won't drink it. I probably don't need it. Right. <laughs> Connor, I just, I just want to commend you uh, on your success so far. You know, and of course, your continued su- success in the NHL and whatever life uh, brings to you. I think you know, the courage and the canonness that you've displayed in sharing your journey, your struggles, you know, your triumphs, you know, you've been, there's so many little girls, little boys, you know, athletes far and wide that have an awesome role model in you. Thank you. I'm honored. I really enjoyed being on. So 
anytime. I'm awesome. Here. Go devs. Go devs. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. You can find all this information at our website, bettershow.co. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-S-H-O-W dot C-O. Maybe the simplest way to keep in touch with me is to sign up for my email. When you go to bettershow.co, there'll be a little pop-up and I send a weekly email on all things mindset, nutrition, fitness, uh, longevity, aging, things that are capturing my attention that week in a newsletter that we call Brain Candy. You can find me on social, on Twitter, it's Dr. underscore Stephanie. On Instagram, I am Dr. Stephanie Estima. That's S-T-E-P-H-A-N-I-E. E-S-T-I-M-A. And finally, a legal and medical disclaimer. This podcast is for general information only and the advice, discussions, and recommendations that we discuss on this podcast do not replace medicine, chiropractic, or any other primary healthcare professional's advice or care. There is no doctor-patient relationship that has been established in the consumption of this podcast. And the use and implementation of the information contained here are at the sole discretion of the listener. The content in this podcast is not intended to be used as a substitute for any professional advice, diagnosis, or treatment.